You're now listening to the Stouffville Pentecostal Church audio podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Our message today was preached by our lead pastor, Pastor Jeff Laird. Have a listen. We have been in a series uh, the last few weeks called Your Kingdom Come. And uh, we're wrapping it up today, and then we're going to move on to some other things. But um, the first week we were talking about the kingdom is already, but not yet. Remember that? It was powerful, right? Help me, encourage me, encourage me, yeah. And, <laughs> and then we uh, talked about um, last week that the kingdom is advancing. No matter what the enemy tries to do, he may come and attack it, but the strong man is bound and his house is plundered and Jesus advances the kingdom. And so we talked about that last week. This week, we're going to talk about living in the kingdom or kingdom living. And you'll see the outline there uh, in your bulletin if you have one. Uh, We're going to start with uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25, and says this. Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth, but now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that All of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. A great passage uh, right towards the end of Hebrews. Believers in Christ are now citizens of, of the kingdom of heaven. And because of that, because of the, res- uh, of the privileges that we have, membership comes with some responsibility too, right? We have responsibilities. We have obligations to the kingdom and to the king. In fact, Paul said this in Romans chapter one, put it up for me. He said, for I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and the uneducated alike. So I am eager to come to you in Rome, too, to preach the good news, for I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It's the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. If you try to remember one phrase from this sermon today, this is going to be it, all right? Our... We have to understand that our identity influences our activity. Our identity influences our activity. And you'll see that play out in all kinds of ways. If people think they're junk, then, some, then, then most of the time they'll act that way. But kingdom people have to understand who we are in Christ, and our identity is going to influence our activity. Paul says to the Romans, I'm really anxious to come to you. I'm really anxious to share the gospel with you. In fact, he said, I feel this great obligation to share the gospel. There is kingdom work that needs to be done, he's saying. And 
we also, even now, close to 2,000 years later, have a part to play, and we have a calling to live out. Paul's, Paul's calling, his priority, was to preach the gospel, particularly to the Gentile world. And he did it well, and he traveled around to all kinds of nations, establishing churches, seeing the kingdom break through, doing great things, seeing the Spirit of God at work. That was his call. That was his obligation. That was the giftings and the touch and the mantle and the anointing that was placed on his life. But here's the thing. 2,000 years later, we still have all those things and all those responsibilities for us. We still should feel a great obligation to share the gospel. We still should feel that. It may not play out exactly the way that Paul played out, but your calling is different than his. But we're all to do the work of an evangelist. We're all to share the good news of the kingdom. There is kingdom work to be done, and we have a part to play, all of us. We have a calling to live out. There is giftings and abilities and talents in us all. We're different, and we're meant to be different. We are diverse, and we're meant to be diverse so that we can reach people, touch people. You can impact lives that I could never impact, right? And I can touch lives that you'll never touch either. And he disagrees. It's okay. But it's, it, this... This is the absolute truth of who we are in Christ. We have a part to play and a calling to live out. And so our top priority is God's kingdom. Our top priority is to obey and serve the king and serving him with the best that we have, to the best of our abilities. So these verses are, are pretty clear in, uh, in Hebrews that we just read a moment ago. And we need to listen and pay attention to what the king has to say. That's what he's saying. If you think that people got away with not listening to Moses, they didn't get away with it, he's saying. And we are not going to get away with not listening to what the king of kings has to say. He's saying, God shook the ground at Mount Sinai, and there is coming a day when the earth and the heavens will shake. That's what he says. Everything that can shake will shake. And all that will remain at the end will only be the eternal, unshakable things. And we should build our lives on something that doesn't shake. How about that? He said, don't build your life on, on stuff that will shake, but build it on something that will not shake. Because there will be a time when there'll be a lot of shaking. The shaking quote that he, he, he drops in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, it comes actually from Haggai, a minor prophet in the Old Testament, chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, I think it is. And he talks about the time when the Lord will return and he will fill his house with glory. And as that time gets nearer to the event, as that day approaches, he says, listen, you're going to see more shaking. The world is going to shake. Stuff is going to happen. It's going to go. As the kingdom advances, the strong man will try to attack it. That he, there is something that will go on. And we look around, and there's more shaking now going on than maybe there ever was before. We have political shakings. We have physical shakings. We have relationships that are shaky. We've got all kinds of shaking. It's shaking. 
The world is. And so as the time gets nearer to that great event that uh, Haggai speaks of and the writer of Hebrews mentions, it's, it's, it's important for us to listen to what the king has to say. It's important that people in the kingdom are living and doing and serving and, and, and just uh, appropriating the gifts that he's given us to make sure that we are exactly where we need to be. It, it, it's, it's an amazing uh, couple of verses, and I, I want to get on with it so I can't take too long, but a believer can absolutely live with confidence. Did you know that? This is why the Bible says again and again, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. You are a part of a kingdom that does not shake, right? You are a part of a kingdom that is unshakable. So you don't need to worry. Meaning when the worst happens and the whole earth blows up and shakes, guess what? You're in the hand of God. You're in the unshakable kingdom. So what should we do? What should we do? as we live in this shaking world, he says, the writer says of Hebrews, he says, first, he says, be thankful, be thankful. Always be grateful of what you have experienced in God, of the joy, the blessing, the absolute honor and privilege that you have to be a part of the unshakable kingdom. It is something that you must be thankful for, he says. Second, he says, You've got to worship with holy fear and awe or reverence and awe is the word. And it reminds us of God's power and God's greatness. That it's important, it's important to remember who we're dealing with. We don't treat God like he's anybody. He's God. And he's worthy of respect. He's worthy of honor. He's worthy of reverence. He's worthy to be served, he's worthy to be praised. So this reminds us of God's power, of his greatness, of who we're dealing with here. And we worship this way, he says, because our God is, next verse, did you show me that next? Verse 29, he says, for God is a devouring fire. Some versions will say, for God is a consuming fire, right? So, we worship him and we serve him and we honor him because our God is like a consuming fire. He's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy, but he's also a God of fire. He's a God of power. He's a God of holiness, right? And so God's holiness at one time when everything begins to shake in this world, God's holiness is going to consume everything that doesn't belong to him. Sin, sickness, suffering, evil, everything that is not a part of his kingdom will be shaken and destroyed and consumed. And at the same time, see, fire does a, a couple of things. It, all, it consumes, it destroys, but it also purifies. And the fire will do that as well. And, and a, a real citizen of the kingdom will live with a deep, deep sense of thankfulness for who God is and what he's done for the future and the hope that he has provided, that at the end of the day, we are safe in his hands and we have glory to look forward to. And so we are absolutely thankful for that. But it also gives us a sense of responsibility to live holy and to be in service for the king because we love him, 
because we respect him, because we honor him, because we want to be useful, we want to please him, we want to do stuff and be a difference maker for the kingdom. This is who we're called to be. So I want to go on to a couple of things here. Uh, there's two, thi- there's two uh, things that I want to focus on, uh, two things that we are that I think actually impacts us greatly. When we're talking about our identity influences our activity, there's a couple of uh, facts, I guess, that are, are really, I think, important for us to grasp. And then the overall arching sort of thing that we need to live with, and that's what we're going to look into. I want to talk about royal priests and witnesses and then uh, obedience, and then we'll wrap up. But first, royal priests. This is who we are. Now, remember, our identity influences our activity. So as we live on earth as members of God's kingdom, it's really important to remember who we are in Christ, right? Say it with me. Identity influences activity. Just say that. So look at, look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. It's a great verse. We are a holy nation, God's people, and now we're called to show his great light to a dark world, to show others the goodness of God, to say we are a part of a kingdom and it's so good you got to come into, right? This is our responsibility. But one of the things that I think we miss sometimes is, is the word royal priest. You are royal priests. That's what it says. Have you ever considered yourself a royal priest? <laughs> you know that this concept is not just here in Peter. It's, it's, it's actually throughout Scripture multiple times. Here's one more in uh, Revelation chapter 1. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. We are a kingdom of priests. And so when you start thinking about that, your, your identity influences your activity. Okay? So the job of a priest is basically twofold. It, the first is to worship God. And, uh, and that's sort of the priestly duties. And the second is to be a witness for God. And that's, that's the royal duty, as they call it, with that we represent him, that our very presence reminds people of God. Just think about that, that you make a difference in every room that you walk into. Remember that story I told a, 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 a long time ago of um, when I used to walk into... Uh, uh, this barber shop to get my hair cut. And all the guys in there knew that I was a pastor. And as soon as I walked in, all the swearing stopped. All the dirty jokes stopped. All the language cleaned up. All of a sudden, they started talking about, oh, I should go back to church, you know. Oh, yeah, you know, all that stuff. And I, and I, and I would walk in, and i go, I have the power to walk in and change this room. Huh? Here's the problem with all of us. You think that's just me. 
it's not. You are a royal priest. You carry the anointing and the touch of God. You walk into a room and change it. Hmm? People, they see, they don't get this. They say, oh, oh, you put that on the pastor. So, oh, it's like the pastor. Oh, well, the pastor can't do that because he's a pastor. The pastor must do this because he's a pastor. And the Bible says, you're the pastor. You're the priest. You're a part of the kingdom. That's your job. Don't put it just on me and other. And if you're visiting your pastor, I have my own responsibilities and you have yours. But we are royal priests together. This is who we are. A priest is set apart. A priest is someone who commits themselves to holy service. And that's who we are in Christ. Our, our, our identity will influence our activity. If you walk around thinking that you're a royal priest, I love it when people say, we go somewhere, I walk in and go, oh, the pastor's here, so we better not tell that joke. Oh, the pastor's here, we better not do that activity. And the whole time I'm walking in going, they don't get it at all. They're, they're as much a priest as I am in, in, in the kingdom of God, right? That's you. It's you. It's who we are. We are a priesthood that is set apart to serve. We are a priesthood that is set apart to fulfill the purposes of the king as long as he keeps us here on earth. When he's done with us, we'll go up to the kingdom in the sky. Already, but not yet, right? One day. But until that day comes, we are here as royal priests. We are called to reflect the image of God to a world that is in desperate need. That we live different than the world so that we can make a difference in the world. Do you understand? We have to be different to make a difference. If you're the same, you'll never have the impact that you should have. We live differently to, in, in, from the world so that we can make a difference in the world. So all believers are royal priests in the kingdom of heaven. Look at Revelation chapter 5. And they sang a new song with these words, You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign on the earth. It's who you are. So our present involvement in the world as, as royal priests is like a foreshadowing of our future involvement that, that is to come in the future. We are, you're, 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 a, you're a priest now and you still be, the, you will be then. You don't lose it. Isn't that cool? You are not in a temple. Understand this. We are, we're not in a temple serving, uh, or, or we're not in a temple, I should say, attending a service that's led by a priest. We're, we are the temple and we are the priests and we conduct the service ourselves. That's who we are. Our identity influences our activity. So if we understand that we're royal priests called to be set apart, committed to serve with holiness to represent Christ, it helps us to understand how we should live. 
Yes. It's who you are. So everything that you think I shouldn't do, you shouldn't do it either. Everything you think I should do, you should do. That's good right there. That was, that was good. Yeah. Listen, it helps us understand. It helps us. Sorry, my mic is coming loose, but I'll, I'll, I'll get it. It helps us to understand how we're to live. It really, really does. When you consider yourself a royal priest, called and set apart to serve the king of the kingdom, you, we, we got to watch how we live. We got to watch what we do. We got we to gotta make sure that we're living for him, obeying him, not out of fear, but out of love, because we want to please him and make a difference. We want to be a worthy, we want to be an honorable ambassador for the kingdom. And so it drives us to live the right way. Royal priests. Next is witnesses. Witnesses. There's this, there's this other important truth that we need to know that I think will influence our living here on earth. And that's the word witnesses. We are called to be witnesses. It's not anything you haven't heard before. But let me remind you of this. Uh, Acts 1.8 is a good example. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So there, there's many different meanings uh, um, for the word witness. And we get the fact, we, 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 we tend to think about it most of the time as we're called to speak, we're called to testify, you know, uh, to what we've experienced in Christ, that we're a witness. What we've experienced, we share. And obviously, that's, that's a part of it. But something that we don't think about a lot is another important definition of the word witness is actually someone who reflects the image of something or someone. That is also a definition of witness. So a mirror becomes a witness because it's reflecting what's put in front of it. We may not like what we see in front of it sometimes, but in that sense, you with me? I'm just trying to use an example to say that we, uh, one idea of a witness is the, the mirror is witnessing to, to what's in front of it, right? We are, it's reflecting the image of something else, right? And so we are called to reflect the image of Jesus. And so we're called to reflect the king to others. So God's love, God's glory, God's power, God's mercy, his compassion, it should all be reflected by us. Genesis chapter 127, it says God created human beings in his what? In the image of God. He created the male and female. He created them. So in the beginning, we were created in his image. That's how it started. And Paul said this to the Colossians in Colossians chapter 1. He said, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created, and he's supreme over all creation. But get the, get the first part. He's the visible image of the invisible God. He's reflecting something, right? And who are we called to reflect? Jesus. We're supposed to to represent Jesus 
if he's called to be the visible image of the invisible God, we're called to be the visible image of him. And so this is a part of our witness sort of portfolio that is put on us. We're supposed to represent Jesus. We're supposed to act like Jesus, love like Jesus, respond like Jesus. Sounds easy. But the Lord knows, see, that we have no hope. We have no hope of doing that on our own. So he says, listen, I've given you a task that you'll never be able to do by yourself. So he said, I'm going to help you out, and I'm going to send someone, and he's called the Holy Spirit. He will be among you. He will lead you. He will guide you. He will empower you. He will touch you. He will train you. He will teach you. He will reveal to you. He will be your guide, your teacher. He will be all you need to to be the witness that I'm asking you to be. So what he did was he actually removed our excuse. We can't say, how can we act like Jesus, talk like Jesus, look like Jesus, be like Jesus, respond and react like Jesus? Well, we can't. That's why he sent us help. And the more we lean into the helper, the more clearly we reflect the image of Jesus. That's how it works. So, he helps us. He helps believers to become the witness that will eventually take the message of Jesus across the globe. He said, we're going to get into that as we start to ramp up into uh, uh, Easter and Pentecost Sunday. We'll, We'll be doing some Holy Spirit stuff, but... But there will be, there will be this, this sense that, like, do you ever get the sense that uh, if you think about trying to serve God and trying to do all the things that, you know, you really feel like you should do, it's, it, it, it truly is an impossible task. And that's why the Holy Spirit is here. That's why he's among us. And so... He's going to help us to take the message to the end of the earth. You remember he said to the disciples, Jesus said to the disciples in, right in Acts 1, right before there, he said, you're, you're called to go into all the world to preach the gospel, but don't leave yet until he comes because he will be the one that you will need to take my message across this globe. So we need his help to be witnesses I wanted to look at this story, Matthew chapter 22. Now tell us what you think about this. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus knew their evil motives. You hypocrites, he said. Why are you trying to trap me? Here, show me the coin used for the tax. When they handed him a Roman coin, he asked, whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well, then he said, Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. His reply amazed them and they went away. I just, many of you have heard these stories before and there's lots to say about it, but I just want to make sort of one interesting point. The coins that he asks, they were trying to trap Jesus and, uh, and Jews had to pay the tax to the Romans. And by the way, the very, they weren't even allowed Religious Jews weren't even allowed to carry Roman coins. 
because it had the image of Caesar on it and they considered it idolatry. So the very fact that they even gave him one and produced one meant they had one. And they weren't even supposed to have one. That's why he says, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites. You come to trap me and you're walking like nonsense, right? This is the point he's making. But, but he, he asks this. He says, these coins belong to Caesar because what? Because his image is stamped on the coin. That's what he said, right? So the question is to us, what image is stamped on us? Because if, if, if it's Jesus, then that, that means we are the image bearers of God, and that means we belong to him. You give to Caesars what is Caesars, but you give to God what is God's. If you're made in the image of God, called to be a witness, called to reflect the image of Jesus, then you belong to him. And this is a little nugget that sometimes we don't talk about in that story. We reflect Jesus to the world. We are foreigners on this earth. We've talked about that at last couple weeks, but because we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we are foreigners. They call aliens, the Bible says. Not aliens like weird, spooky aliens, but like aliens, meaning you don't belong here. This is not your home, right? You have another place. So we're very proud to be Canadian. Some are very proud to be American. We're proud to be Italian. We're proud to be this and that. But one thing, one thing trumps it all is that we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And that is the thing that covers us all and is most important to all. This is not our final home. We are just as they say, come on, passing through, right? So while he keeps us here, we are called to be his witnesses. While he keeps us here, we're called to reflect him. While he keeps us here, we're called to work for the kingdom and to serve him. This is who we are and our identity influences our activity. We're witnesses. So this is the other thing, by the way. It, you should never doubt your self-worth. You should never doubt your self-worth as a believer in Jesus. Do you know why? Because you are God's prized possession. That's what the word says. Because you carry his image. You're not junk. You're made in the image of God. You're called to reflect the image of Jesus. And he sends you out as a witness of this truth to a lost world in need of hope. You are important. You're valuable. You are a, 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 a member of the kingdom that is unshakable, that will never, ever fail. This is who we are. This speaks to our self-worth. Christians that struggle with self-worth just fail to understand who they truly are in Christ. We've got our eyes too much on what the world says makes us worthy, and not enough on what God says makes us worthy. Look, I'm fatter now. I got less hair now. Like, I'm only going to get uglier. It's true. I'm okay with that. Because I matter to the one who matters most. I'm a king. Uh, he, he, the king... Uh, uh, in a kingdom who loves me and who honors me and pours out his grace and mercy on my life. If he thinks I'm worthy, then I'm worthy. If he loved me enough to die for me, then that speaks greatly to how valuable he thinks I am. 
We are witnesses and we are royal priests. Lastly, one overarching thing about even the Hebrews chapter 12 and all the way through scripture about believers living in the kingdom. It says, uh, Hebrews 12 that we just read a while ago, 28, it says that we're, we're to worship and to please God with our lives. And the only way we can do that is through a life of obedience. So if how, if we can't worship him with reverence and in awe. We can't serve him. We can't be a witness like we're called to be. We can't be a royal priest like we're called to be. We can't do any of this if we don't have this secret ingredient called obedience. He is the king. He is the master. He says, I do. Right? It's very important. The only way we can live for the king is to do what the king says and to live a life of obedience. And so as we surrender to his kingdom, every time we do, it keeps expanding in our lives. Every time we do, it expands. We pray, your kingdom come. We talked about it, that it's a now prayer and, and, a, and, um, and a yet to come prayer. We're saying, Lord, I need help. I need a witness. I need to, I need to be a witness. I need to be a royal priest. I need you to break through into my family. I need miracles in my body. I need a touch of God. I need my family to be saved. I can't do it. I need your kingdom to come for you to break through into this earth and for your, for your, for your kingdom to be established here, for the qualities and the characteristics of your kingdom to come. And when that happens, only good things begin to go on. So as we surrender to his kingdom, his kingdom begins to expand in us. So when God trusts us with small tasks, right, then he can begin to trust us with bigger tasks. You know the story, we won't read it, but you know the story of the, uh, the parable of the talents where somebody's given a little, somebody's given one, somebody's given three, somebody's given five, whatever the numbers are, and there's various numbers of various stories. But the whole point is this, that those who used what they were given well were given what? More, correct? And those that didn't use what they were given, it was taken away and given to somebody who would use it well. So there's, there's this sense of we, we must live this obedient life and as we do small tasks for Jesus, then he can begin to trust us with greater things. Look at John 14, chapter, uh, verse 23. It says, Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. Just as simple as that. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. He's reflecting the Father. So Jesus lives this life that was totally committed to obey the Father. He lived his entire life here on earth in absolute total obedience. Could you, like, could you just imagine trying to live your life in absolute total obedience to God? When he was a child, when he was a young adult, when he went through his rebellious stage, you know, like he never turned from the will of the Father. It's, it's an astounding life, an amazing life. His, he, his whole life was lived in total obedience. 
Luke chapter 22, verse 41, it says he, he walked away. This is, this is at the end when he's um, in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says he walked away about a stone's throw and he knelt down and he prayed. Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him, and he prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. You know, one of the things that this says to us practically is that there are times when obedience is not easy. Ever had one of those times? You knew what the right thing to do was. You just didn't want to do it. Obedience is not always easy. You think about what he went through in the Garden of Gethsemane right before they took him away to be crucified. It says he was in agony of spirit to the point where his body is dripping drops of blood. That's what the word says. But he did it. He still obeyed. See, he taught this concept. Jesus taught this concept of obedience many times. Many times. Like we talked about, seek first the kingdom. Right? He's saying, go after the kingdom. He talked about the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. All this stuff. But talking, talking and doing are two different things. And Jesus was absolutely legit in his obedience to the Father. We talked a little bit about that last week. That even to the point of going to the cross and suffering in a way that we can't even imagine, but yet he did it anyway. Jesus requires more than lip service and more than going through the motions. Kingdom citizenship is proven through action. Remember this verse that we looked at last week, Matthew 7? Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually, what? Do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. So if we are to experience His power, we must honor His authority in our lives. That's just the truth. If you love me, you will obey me. If you don't obey me, then you don't love me. Kingdom citizenship is proven through our action. So... Blessing, again, comes in response to our obedience. Like you hear me say, you do the right thing, right things happen. You continually make good, right choices, then good, right things will happen. You continually make bad choices, you sow that kind of seed, then you'll reap that kind of crop. That's what happens in our lives. It's a basic principle. So blessing comes in, in response to our obedience and we actually find freedom when we obey, not bondage. That's the, that, this is the catch. You actually find freedom, not bondage. It's kind of like they talk about a train, you know, um, that a train is bound to be on the tracks. And if the train wanted to go over here or go over here, if it, if it tried, it could get off the tracks and it would be free of the tracks, but it would be useless off the tracks right? The tracks give it purpose. The tracks give it power. The tracks give it direction. 
The tracks make it useful. The tracks actually give it freedom to move, not to be stuck. So it's the same kind of principle in our lives. People go, oh, all these rules. It's not rules. It's, it's, it's a relationship with the king. And because I love him, because he's my priority, because he's my master, I want to do what he says. Not because I'm trying to earn anything, but because I love him and I want to please him and I want my life to be something that he's happy with. Mm-hmm. And so it's really, really, really important that we get this whole idea of obedience. You can't be a witness without it. You can't be a royal priest without it. Jesus proved obedience right to the very end, even when it was very, very difficult. And we have to get in our heads that we don't obey out of duty or trying to earn favor. We follow Jesus out of love and out of our desire to please him. So kingdom people obey because we want to. And since we're receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping Him with holy fear and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. That's what the Word says. You know how honored you are to be a member of the kingdom of God? That one day everything that can be shaken will be shaken and you will still be standing strong. That the kingdom of God is eternal, it is forever, and everybody who enters in that kingdom is safe for now and for all of eternity. That it is such an incredible blessing. It is such an incredible honor. It is such an amazing privilege. Do you understand? Let me, I know you do, but let me remind you today how great it is to be in the kingdom of God. It is powerful. It is great. It is wonderful. It is the best decision that we've ever made. That we're always better with Him than without Him. That no matter what, He is never going to leave me, never going to forsake me. The earth and all around me may shake, but my standing in the kingdom is for sure. And one day, I will see Him face to face. One day, we will gather around the throne and all the, ki the kids of the kingdom will be there from every tongue, tribe, and nation, from all of history. And that will be a day, trust me, when we roar out our praise, we're going to shake the earth. It will be a day that we will never, ever forget. It will be an experience that I'm very much looking forward to. The very first time that all the kids of the kingdom are home. It is a privilege to be a, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. It is my privilege to be loved so much that he saved me, died for me, and wants to give me abundant life both now and forevermore. How can I not respond to such love with everything that I have? How can I not respond to a person like that with the best that I have to give? He gave me everything. And I've got to find ways to serve him more. I've got to find ways to be that difference maker, that royal priest, to walk into a room and to change the climate all around me. We 
are those people. And so I encourage us all today. Walk out of here this morning knowing that you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You are under great responsibility to live that way, but you do it out of such love and such thankfulness and such gratitude that his burdens are so light to us because it's just a joy to serve him. Understand? It's just a joy to be with him. It's a joy to be in his family, and it's a joy to call him mine. The world didn't give it to me, and the world can't take it away. In fact, when he's with me, we go into the strong man's house, and we plunder his goods so that we can bring more people with us into the kingdom of God. Let's live that way. Let's be those people. Let's serve him with passion. If you're here still on this earth, Use your days wisely. Once we get old and we can't move around and winter comes, it gets hard. But I'll tell you, you know, the Lord has been reminding me of how much power there is in prayer and that there's no distance in prayer. And if I'm not feeling well or my body is old and broken, but God still has me here, why hasn't he called me home? Well, maybe one of the reasons is because he wants me to pray. Maybe one of the reasons is he wants me to just call out to him for my family, for my world, for my church, for my pastor, for the people around me, for revival and renewal to come, for God to show up, for his kingdom to come. If that's all that's left at the end of our days, then that's enough. It's enough. We are kids of the kingdom, and the day will come when he calls us home. But until that day, Serve him well, serve him with honor, serve him with respect, and serve him with love. He's worthy of it all. God's people said amen. Thanks for listening to Stovall Pentecostal Church audio podcast. For more information about Stovall Pentecostal Church, including service times, please visit our website at www.spcfamily.ca. Have a good week and God bless.